I invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1. Most of us are not good test takers. I can still remember the joy and the jubilation I felt after completing my last final exam in college, in seminary, or after my ordination exams here in Presbytery. About the only thing you look forward to in a test is that it being over. Well, like it or not, assurance involves testing. Pastors De Bruin and Light have done a wonderful job these last few weeks laying out the foundation of our assurance of salvation in the work of Jesus Christ alone. Our eternal security and the peace of mind that we have, that we belong to God, rest not on what we have done, but on what Christ has done on our behalf. Well, this morning, as we conclude our series on assurance, we come to a biblical challenge to test ourselves, to be diligent in seeking assurance. As members of God's covenant family, we have rights, the privilege to be confident that we belong to God. And with those rights also comes a responsibility to exercise them, to strengthen our claim to the promises of God. Well, having already heard from the apostles Paul and John, we now turn to the apostle Peter, as he writes to us in his second epistle, and exhorts us to make our calling and election sure. This language sometimes troubles Christians, and to help us, I will also read one verse from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. But first... Please follow as I read 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Peter writes, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, through our knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self control, and to self control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Peter gives us many rich teachings here to consider, but this command is a little bit unclear. And so I want to turn briefly, just hold your place, to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, in verse 5, where Paul, I believe, cuts to the chase and communicates what Peter means in his own book. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 
Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Well, thus reads the living and active, inerrant word of God. Let us pray. Father, you have indeed given us words of assurance, comfort based upon your promises, based upon the work of Christ. And we struggle to lay a hold of these things for confidence, for joy and peace. We pray that you would add to our faith. Bless us and strengthen us as we consider your word this morning. And we do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For years after graduating from college, I suffered this recurring nightmare of a dream. I would wake up sometime later in the semester, realizing that I had completely forgotten to attend one of my classes. In all of my busyness, I had neglected to do my assignments, hadn't showed up for any of the tests, and now was completely unprepared for the final exam. Perhaps some of you have experienced that same dream. My father, in fact, had the same dream for years after he graduated with a degree in engineering from Georgia Tech. So I've concluded I have inherited his worry genes. We hate taking tests. Whether it's a school exam, a driver's license test, or perhaps some kind of professional certification, We sweat it when we fear that we're not able to answer one of our questions. Many of us are haunted by ongoing fears, feeling inadequate. Our insecurities plague us, whether it's in our education, our careers, relationships, or even our spiritual life with God. Well, on top of all of these fears, Peter gives us his duty to make your calling an election sure. Wait a minute, you say. I thought this idea of calling was something God did. That election was simply, was purely the work of God, not my job. Well, Peter is not denying the foundation of our assurance. Rooted in God's election. In Christ accomplishing our redemption for us, and the Holy Spirit applying his grace to us individually and personally. Rather, Peter here is calling for our response. The idea, I believe, is similar to something Paul also writes in Philippians chapter 2. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Justification is completely the work of God that is applied to us through faith. Sanctification, the process by which God makes us holy, requires our participation. We have a responsibility to exercise it. Likewise, our assurance is something we have to work at. We cannot let it grow weak and dormant. We must confirm it. And examine ourselves. We avoid tests because we fear failure. But the pursuit of assurance is not a matter of passing a rigorous exam of God. Rather, it is laying hold of Jesus Christ, the one who passed the test in our place. 
Well, first, what does it mean to test ourselves? Paul tells us to examine ourselves, to see whether we are in the faith. Let's see. I go to church. I teach Sunday school. I serve in the nursery. I have my quiet time most days. I am kind to my wife and children as long as I'm getting my way. I'm basically a pretty good guy. But that's not enough. That is not what Paul means. Rather, the essential element we're looking for is to examine whether or not you are in Christ. Throughout his letters, Paul makes repeated references to this idea of being in Christ, or Christ being in us. Scholars refer to this as our union with Christ. By faith, we are one with him. Paul teaches in Romans 6 that we died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We have been raised up with Christ. We are now dead to sin, but alive to God. We are no longer slaves to iniquity. Rather, we are slaves to righteousness. He goes on in Romans 8 to tell us that we have been called and justified and adopted, and we are being sanctified, and we will be glorified through Christ. Jesus gives us the picture in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides with me will bear much fruit. We are connected to Christ organically and spiritually. Without him, you and I can do nothing. So the first test of our assurance is to determine whether we are in Christ. I remember getting back my first engineering exam, my sophomore year of college. I was taking Introduction to Circuits in Electrical Engineering. I got a 30 out of 100 on this exam. I was stunned. Obviously, I did not know my stuff. I had been weighed in the balance and found wanting. I received a little bit of comfort from the fact that my grade was not all that different from the class average. Nevertheless, I had a lot of work to do to go back and relearn this material that I had failed to master. In fact, I barely had enough time to learn the new, new material in time for the second exam, which I also failed, but I got better. And by the end of the semester, was making A's and B's, thankfully. In fact, I was tutoring others the following year in this course, amazingly enough. Tests are good for us. They show us our weaknesses. The test of the gospel shows us our bankruptcy. Only failures pass this test. It's not until we realize we cannot pass through the gates of heaven on our own until we are ready for the true test. As Christians, we are a people who fail to measure up. But we gladly take the merit of Jesus, the only A-plus student in God's classroom. But even as I worked diligently to recover from my failing grade in electrical engineering, so we are called to labor, to make our calling 
an election sure. Peter is bold in verse 3, telling us that God in his power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. How many of us, as we're preparing for our summer trip to the beach, make a checklist, whether on paper or in our minds, and we have to recheck it and go through and inspect the car and make sure we have the sunscreen lotion and the medications, making sure we have everything we need for the trip. Well, Scripture compares the Christian life to a journey, and it is God who equips us for that pilgrimage. Just as our American forces need all of the needed supplies to successfully accomplish their mission in Iraq. So we need the spiritual resources as we make our trek and hope to successfully arrive at the celestial city. And it's God who provides everything we need. In the following verses, I will try to demonstrate how Christ has provided us a sound basis for our assurance. Peter here emphasizes this idea of godliness, which is closely tied to our sense, our personal sense of assurance. I'd like us to look at three things. The power for godliness, a picture of godliness, and perseverance in godliness to strengthen our assurance of salvation through Jesus Christ. Well, the foundation, the very basis of our assurance, is God's very great and precious promises in verse 4. God, throughout the scripture, makes all kinds of claims. He is creator. He is holy, just, and righteous. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. He will be our God, and we will be his people. And so the hope of our salvation is rooted in the character of God. Repeated throughout the Old Testament is God's promise to completely wipe out our sin forever. Isaiah 43, 25 says that God will blot out our transgression. Isaiah 38, 17 declares that God has put all of our sins behind his back. Micah 7.19, that Pastor De Bruin read earlier, paints this picture of God hurling all of our sins into the depths of the sea, never to be dredged out again. Well, not only does he promise to be our God and to deal with our sin, he promises to transform us, to be fit for a relationship with himself. Peter says that we participate In the divine nature. This does not mean he is making us God. Or that we are becoming divine in any kind of Mormon fashion or New Age mysticism. Rather, this is consistent with what the New Testament teaches about our sanctification. We are becoming like Christ. Such as Romans 8.29. Where it's declared that the purpose of our salvation is that we might be conformed to the likeness of his Son. God and his adoption of us aims for us to share in the family likeness. One of the highlights of my day is returning home from the office office to be greeted by my children at the door. As soon as the garage door opens, my children compete with one another to see who can be the first 
to welcome me back home. Even our 15-month-old is caught, in, caught on with waving and learning to shout. Children delight to be with their daddy after a long day apart. Now, I've been told by older parents to cherish these years, for the enthusiasm mysteriously diminishes with age. But nevertheless, one mark of our assurance is a desire to be with our Heavenly Father. We have a responsibility not to let our enthusiasm dwindle, but rather fan it into flame, to maintain a childlike faith. And the more time we spend with the Father, the more we bear the family likeness. To which verses 5 to 7 address with a picture of godliness. The language in verse 5 indicates strenuous effort. Peter's saying, do your best. Be all the more diligent to add to your faith these following qualities. Goodness, knowledge, self-control. The Bible says that we, by nature, are evil, ignorant, and filled with covetous desires. One of the not nagging problems that tempts Christians to doubt their salvation is the ongoing problem of sin. Notice that Peter is not upholding standards of perfectionism. Rather, in verse 8, he, in references, referencing these attributes, he describes them as character qualities that we possess with increasing measure. And so another test of assurance is, are you growing as a Christian? Is there genuine change in your life? Are you growing to see your sin and to hate it? These are indicators of a healthy growth of acquiring these qualities and attributes that Peter lists. If we are lacking such qualities, if we are failing this test, then our need is Christ. For it's only in Christ that these attributes begin to flourish and grow up in us and through us. Another test in verse 6 is the quality of perseverance. How do you handle trials? Each of us are tempted with doubts, struggles, and perhaps fears of God abandoning us. And in times of great testing, we need God's grace to resist despair, to overcome temptation, to compromise our faith. And when we do overcome, when we pass the test, we are strengthened And we can lay hold of those promises of God with greater confidence. After perseverance, Peter adds godliness, brotherly kindness, and on top of all these matters, love. Is there enough evidence in your life to indict you in a court of law for being a Christian? If not, then you need Christ, not greater religious effort. But I imagine for most of us, the answer is yes to these things. But we still have our doubts. We see light in our lives, but we also see much darkness. Christians who struggle with a lack of assurance oftentimes struggle with perfectionism. We are overly critical of ourselves. 
We beat ourselves up over our repeated failures. Friend, God has no desire for you to remain in misery in the pit of your despair. In the Christian life, you are either up or you are getting up. One of the best marks of assurance in the Christian life is ongoing repentance. Imagine, if you will, the knowledge of your sin is like an arrow pointing diagonally downward. And your understanding of God's holiness is another arrow pointing diagonally upwards. What bridges the gap between the knowledge of our sin and God's holiness? It's the cross of Christ. And the deeper our knowledge of sin. And the greater our understanding of God's holiness requires a bigger and bigger cross. All of these qualities that Peter lists are evidence. They are fruit of your life in Christ as you abide in him by faith. The focus is not on yourself. On your ability to measure up as a Christian. Where the focus is on Christ. Verse 8 says that if we possess these qualities, they will prevent us from becoming ineffective and unproductive in what? Our knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is not about performance. This is about your identity in Christ. What he does through you to make you more like himself. One verses 9 and following... Peter goes on to conclude describing our perseverance in godliness. And part of our testing of ourselves, our growth in godliness and assurance, Peter warns us that if we are lacking these qualities, we have become nearsighted, blind. Some people are naturally blind and can see nothing. Other people are visually impaired to the point that they are legally blind. They cannot drive or perform other tasks that require sight. By analogy, non-believers are blind. Spiritually blind to the light of the gospel. However, believers can become spiritually impaired. Blind for all practical purposes. Nearsighted. Such Christians can only see what is right in front of them. They cannot see God or see life from God's perspective. They cannot see other people nor respond to their needs. Such people are so self-focused that they fail, lacking assurance. A year ago, I had my eyes checked to confirm my theory that I was growing nearsighted. One of the clues that tipped me off that I had a vision problem was my inability to make out faces in the back row of this sanctuary. How refreshing it was to receive my glasses last fall. And once again to be able to see your smiling faces in the back. And to see and read road signs from a distance as I drive. Oftentimes in the Christian life we need to test our spiritual vision. We need to modify the prescription of our faith, shifting our focus off of ourselves and back onto Christ where it belongs. 
spiritually nearsighted Christians are those in verse 9, where Peter says, who have forgotten that they've been cleansed from their past sins. They are like a patient suffering macular degeneration and eye disease, who repeatedly neglects to take his eye drops, and so further damages his vision. How many of us struggle to feel forgiven for the sins committed in our youth, or the ongoing nature of temptation that dogs us to this day? The fact that this even bothers you is another mark of assurance. If you were not a Christian and you had no interest in God at all, why would your sin even bother you? Rather, it's your Christian conscience, the Holy Spirit who lives within you to convict you, that leads you to this knowledge of sin. But it is not the Spirit that condemns you. No, that's the job of the world, the flesh, and the devil. In Christ, there is now no condemnation. We have been liberated set free from the tyranny of sin's bondage. God's forgiveness is a legal declaration that cannot be revoked. So then forgive yourself and forgive others, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, because of all these things, be all the more diligent to make your calling an election, sure. It is your right by adoption to claim the assurance of your salvation. Peter says, do these things, and you will never fall. Last month, while out west on vacation, my wife and I and our youngest child flew down to Dallas for the General Assembly of our denomination. And on the way back, we had to route through Minneapolis... And there we had to wait many hours with a delay. During a routine maintenance test, the crews discovered that one of the de-icers on one of the wings was not functioning properly. Now, the chances of ice forming on the wing of a plane in mid-June is not very likely, but AFA regulations require, require the repair before that plane could take off. And so we waited a good two to three hours before we were cleared and actually received a replacement plane to complete our return to central Wisconsin. Tests can be inconvenient, even discouraging. In our case, it was for our welfare. An airplane that falls from the sky due to malfunction is an absolute disaster. Likewise, Testing ourselves spiritually or enduring enduring God's test is for our eternal welfare, both for our present journey and the flight of our life to come. In the final verse, we receive a glimpse of our reward. Those who persevere will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it is the longing of your heart to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, then you belong to him. If it is your desire to see him, your beloved, 
then you have every reason for assurance. Years ago, as a teenager, when I took Red Cross lifeguard training, we had to undergo a vigorous fitness test, diving into the deep end of the pool to lift up a heavy weight to the surface. We also had to tread water for many minutes while keeping another person afloat. We were tested that we might be fit to save others. The Lord Jesus was tested. He was tested on our behalf, and he alone passed the test to be the Savior for sinners. Friends, you and I failed to pass the test of God's holiness. In fact, I believe that our confidence in being saved rests a lot less upon our track record of moral performance and more on the testimony of God's grace in your life, of his intrusion, of his intervention repeatedly into your life, especially during times of difficulty, to remind you that you belong to him. The pursuit of assurance is a matter of laying hold of God's promises. That you are in Christ and that he is in you. May you rest assured and have peace of mind as you abide in Christ. Even as he calls you homeward for his glory and honor. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of assurance We thank you for the testimony of your Holy Spirit, for the promises that are yes and amen in Christ. And I pray for each one of us that we would lay hold of this promise, that we would rest in you with joy and confidence that we belong to you. Go with us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.